This podcast is brought to you by MedCloud. Get connected, cyber safe. Today's guest is George Grant, who's co-founder and publisher of Housing Technology, which he started in 2006 to equip the UK's social housing providers with the tech resources and information they require to improve their tenants' lives. Housing Technology Magazine has over 20,000 readers, providing thought leadership, insights on technology for housing professionals, and every March, his company brings together 600 of the high-level decision makers in that industry for a yearly conference. There are 300,000 people homeless in the UK, and George believes the housing crisis could be solved using the right mix of technology and social action, and it's his mission to do that by bringing together diverse housing experts from around the globe to collaborate and help solve these problems. George, welcome to the Vanguard podcast. Scott, it's great to be here. Thank you very much for having me. It's a really interesting message regarding bringing homelessness and the issues of homelessness and technology together. But what I'd like to do, George, is start by saying, you know, you started your organization, Housing Technology, in 2006, and you've achieved 20,000 plus readers. You host an annual event uh, where you bring leading expert speakers from around the globe. You partner with massive companies like BT, Salesforce, Amazon, and Microsoft. This, these are great names, but where did it all start? Well, Scott, for me, it started probably in 2007 when I had this uh, crazy idea that IT and business decision makers needed a much better way of understanding what their objectives were when it came to the acquisition and consumption of technology. I was working for what was then the uh, the NatFed, which is a trade body for social housing providers. I came on board, really, just to help them with their business. As a membership organization, the National Housing Federation has a very good understanding of what the problems are with the UK social housing sector. But um, like most trade bodies, they're not particularly commercially savvy. And so I got a phone call, really, saying, um, you know something about technology. You've got a, a Rolodex of technology contacts. Do you want to come on over and have a chat? And I did. And it wasn't really meant to be that serious, really. But it turned out to be a four-year period where I um, basically started an affinity partner program. And one of the first things I did was to work with the IT director, a guy called Rob Green, who uh, was a great guy. And he said, look, the sector consumes a lot of Microsoft licenses. But the problem is they're all buying it at different rates. So basically, to cut a long story short, we actually did a negotiation with Microsoft and they said, what you want is a select agreement. And most of your people in the audience who know anything about the old days of Microsoft, there's lots of smoke and mirrors when it comes to selling licenses. Anyway, we saved the sector literally millions of pounds. We approached Cisco, HP, and then, hey presto, Housing management software companies were interested. They wanted to be part of this new way of delivering their message to a sector that was pretty poorly serviced. And that was about four, four years, really. It was, um, it was great fun. I was a bit of a troubleshooter, but I could see that the writing was on the wall. I thought, hmm, we need to move to the next base. The next base was basically providing a, a publication. People were consuming all this software and professional services, but there wasn't a single resource. And I thought, well, that must be the way to go. Lots of IT managers, directors in those days were saying, 
you know, it's a bit like buying an airline ticket in the old days. You know, you might be sitting next to somebody that bought a ticket for twice the amount of money that you did. Absolutely. I got together with my co-founder, Alistair Tweedy. We basically created um, the first magazine. And I approached the technology companies that I already had a relationship with. And they said, um, not sure there's enough news. How much do you want to pay for advertising? But I was absolutely resolute that this was going to enable every IT director. It would empower them with knowing what products and services they might want to buy. We we basically just carried on despite um, a lot of reservedness, if you like. Sure. Beginning of 2008 was the first magazine. And actually, we had a couple of big organizations that uh, committed to us. In fact, Cisco Systems, one of them. Thank you, Cisco. Other telecoms and network providers are available, of course. But, um, you know, sometimes you need a break. And to be quite honest with you, Scott, when that magazine came out, it was like a eureka moment because so many people just went, oh, my goodness, this is exactly what we needed. Fantastic. You know, we're, we're basically addressing the needs of the individual, you know, that lonely IT manager back in those days. Yep. We empowered that particular individual, and I and I still hold it to this day. Actually, sort of thirteen years later, when we've got what twenty thousand readers um, providing technology and news and information to basically the UK's largest social landlords. Yeah, we've done nearly eighty copies of the magazine that comes out every other month. Yep, and obviously we produce uh, various other bits of research. Sure. It's interesting, you know, the, the the numbers are scary and we'll get into the numbers a little bit later as to, you know, how technology is helping or trying to help the crisis that we have, not only in the UK, but globally with homelessness and so forth. But what I'd like to go back that one step further, you had the Eureka moment in 2006 and, and 2007. But before that, George, what was the catalyst that got you into technology? And what was the, the roadmap for George Grant from secondary school, university, wherever, through to starting housing technology and, and where you are today? Well, depends how far you want to go back, Scott. I mean... I, as far as you want, George. <laughs> well, I started off, I was, um, I was adopted. My, uh, my mother tried to drown me when I was 18 months old. Oh, wow. So I had that trauma to go through. I was brought up in a council flat up until the age of about three or four with my father who looked after me. I was sort of institutionalized, actually, most of my young life. Went to public school. My dad was a cab driver, made enough money to send me away. Unfortunately, I wasn't academically gifted, but I had a good character. But in those days, you know, not being an academic always held you back yeah. you know teachers will always say you're useless you'll never do anything in your life that was a massive catalyst to energize you i've always tried to make people laugh i think you learn where your strengths and weaknesses are for sure i'd like to think i'm a good person with people i genuinely love people and i always see the best in everybody i think those sorts of attributes hold you in pretty good stead you know in terms of academics i didn't go to university left when I was um, 17 and a half, 18. Yep. And um, my dad said, well, that's it. I can't afford anymore. Off you go. <laughs> I actually did not know what I was going to do when I left school. I had a fantastic time, great at sport and all of that stuff, but literally yep. no roadmap, no Bible, no sort of how-to, just the, the love of a father 
probably the best thing that ever happened. I thought, well, I just need to make some money, actually. So I went, went to become a grave digger, would you believe? Wow. But they, I didn't get it. <laughs> but I then went to work for Marks and Spencers for four years. That was a massive learning curve because Marks and Spencers in 79 to 82, 83, was probably at its zenith. It was the leading retailer. Yep. And uh, I learned a lot, actually. I did everything from uh, warehouse to shop floor to security, you know, all sorts of stuff. Uh, I, I was frustrated because I knew I had something about me. You're just trying to discover these things. Absolutely. After, after four years of Mars and Spencer's, I just had enough. I realized that <laughs> 23, time is ticking away. Of course. What, what, what then happened was um, I actually saw an ad. I mean, it's so, so ridiculous when you look back at it. Would you like a Golf GTI? Would you like to earn 15,000 pounds? And I answered yes to that question. Of course. I wasn't quite sure what it was, but it was something to do with office equipment. This was, the, this was the precursor to actually understanding about technology because uh, I certainly cut my teeth. Uh, when people talk about cold calling now, you know, picking up the phone, I tell you, <laughs> it's a completely different ballgame. This is out on the street at half past seven in the morning. You do not come back to the office until you've got 100 compliment slips. Oh, wow. You then go through those compliment slips. We were selling office equipment, right? Yeah. But it was typewriters. And I don't think the fax machine had been invented. It was just about to hit the scene. But there were no computers in those days. It was literally electronic typewriters. And then you basically make appointments, demonstrate typewriters. You'd take it under your arm. You'd sit next to a secretary and you would demonstrate it like you would demonstrate software. Show them how, how to put a ribbon in how to save onto the LED screen in those days. Yep. It was a little... Yep. It was such a baptism by fire in one respect, but in, in others, it was um, fantastic because you were you were meeting people. Uh, it was a different dynamic, very much so. I can imagine. You know, we, we speak about it now, don't we, about cold calling. And as a matter of fact, Ian and I speak about this with our sales team by saying when we were doing it, we used to remember the old yellow pages added, let your fingers do the walking, you know, and, and when you started in a sales job, you got a yellow pages thrown on your desk and said, right, Scott, you've got to go from A to C and that's your territory. Off you go. Yeah. It's a completely different world now, of course. The reason why I love your story, George, is because of the pivot from, you know, what am I going to do to grave digger to Marks and Spencers to technology to publication and, and events is where we are now. I guess I just want to touch on one thing that you mentioned, and I can tell in your voice just the fondness that you have when you speak about your dad. I'm someone, I've only got my dad left now. He's in Australia. I speak to him every other day. He is my hero. But I guess when you were growing up, your dad was the hero to a lot of other people as well, correct? Oh, well, where do you start? I mean, considering that my dad, my adopted dad, didn't really want me, it was, I was foisted on him because uh, he had to go and pick me up from a, a police station because I was wrapped up in a blanket, having been sort of submerged in a very cold bath. Wow. Uh, I mean, I do remember it, and it's very, uh, it has um, it very vivid. I can imagine. But the fact is that my father was my savior, and uh, it's quite emotional actually. Because when you're talking, you know, obviously, like to you, yep. Scott, you, you're going back in time and you're sort of like reliving emotions that happened to you. Interestingly, my father is such an incredible guy. And for a while, you know, for a while in my teens, I didn't really get on with him. But he was, and he is, thank goodness, he's 96 now. Wow, that's fantastic. This guy has an Apple Watch, uh, the latest iPhone. 
He's got a MacBook Pro, an iPad Pro, Apple TV. That's amazing, George. And he is extraordinary. That is simply amazing. My dad still has a clamshell phone, George. Okay, well, at least he's got something. Well, that's a good point. So, uh, yeah, he, extraordinary. I mean, I don't think we've got enough time to go through the whole thing, but my father, at 17, he went into the war. He was on uh, in the infantry. He was over at D-Day. Uh, he was one of the first people to get into Belson. He was on, a, on the plane to, to Hiroshima, actually, when the bomb dropped, so he turned back. Uh, this guy, what he's seen and what he's done, yeah, is is unbelievable, unbelievable. That's 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 awesome. Thank you for sharing that. By you're, the way, you're getting me to cry here now. <laughs> it's oh, quite an emotional thing. I can imagine. Who are the people that you admire? I mean, it is it's definitely my father. Oh yeah, for sure. Thanks for that. I mean, and thank you for sharing such an emotional part of your life. The only reason I brought it up is I love to connect with our guests on the podcast and. And just the way you you spoke about your dad and and the connection I have with my father, it, it just felt right that that we spoke about that. And uh, and I, I thank you for sharing it. I want to get back to housing technology for a minute because one of the things that your organisation does is hold the biggest housing and technology conference I think in the world. Obviously, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I'd love to know more about that, but not only just that event. How it's changed now that we're we're now in a different world. We're in a COVID world where things have gone virtual and we can't go to events physically and so forth. What was an event that was mainly local, I would assume? How have you changed and how have you innovated in delivering that conference now that we're in a different world than what we were 18 months ago? Sure, Scott. Yeah. Let me just sort of um, just give you some background, really. Sure, please. You know, so 2007 housing technology was born. And we've now got probably the UK's, well, we are basically housing technology is the largest publisher of tech news, information and insights to the largest housing providers. And as you say, every March, we brought together around about 600 high level decision makers and key suppliers. And what we've done in one respect, we've created a platform so that whether you are a startup, rapid growth startup, or even a global technology company like BT, Salesforce, Amazon, Microsoft, Cisco, et cetera, you have a part to play in our ecosystem. So COVID obviously has brought about a huge change in people's direction. But yes, we, we, we have pivoted. And in fact, if you think about the content that we've got, the trust that we've actually got with the UK's largest housing suppliers, they need to have trustworthy information at their fingertips. And I guess what, what we've actually done, we've said, I basically, as soon as our March conference ended, we had, you know, we had sort of between five and 600 people. What actually happened was, that was it. The shutters came down and I was thinking, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Because... MedCloud. Connected, cyber safe is our mantra. From tailored managed security solutions to our next generation cloud platform, MetCloud will drive your organization forward and help it thrive. You can keep up to date with us in all things cybersecurity by following us on Twitter at MetCloud underscore com. We're also on LinkedIn and YouTube. You can find the links to our social media pages and blogs via our website, metcloud.com. 
I, I know that every other organization was thinking exactly the same. I'm really happy to say that what we've done as a pivot, we've moved from a publisher to a broadcaster. Right. So if you think Netflix for housing, right? Although my marketing guys will hate They'll kill you for that. Yep. (laughs) Hopefully I won't get sued by Netflix. Of course. But I mean, if you look at our YouTube channels and if you look at the content that we've created, and certainly I'm doing a lot of this stuff, you know, Scott, I'm doing lots of interviews, although we haven't done podcasts. So I'm really grateful that you've invited me onto, onto the platform. Thanks for being here. So we've, we've basically got lots of content that we've built up over the years. And we're doing lots of interviews. Organizations just need that ability to connect with the right people, with the right information. That's a long-winded way to say we're a broadcaster. So think of BBC iPlayer now. What I'm looking at doing is you click on a logo, which may be the housing technology logo in this case, and then out pops two or three different channels. So for instance, the conference will be broadcast from our own TV studios. Wow. So that's really what what we're doing. So nobody's doing this. They're sort of doing part of it, but it's it's kind of it's Zoom on steroids. And to be quite honest with you, yep. it's boring. It's tedious. Yeah. You know, there is Zoom fatigue for everybody. And that's why what you're doing, Scott, these types of events are really good because you can consume a piece of information, a bit of knowledge yes. at your own leisure. And that, I think, where business is going. You know, the kind of proverbial sort of radio show that is a live broadcast yep. needs to be recorded. So I suppose it's a bit like a, a rugby match or a, or a football match where you can view it in real time. But obviously, if you want to go back and actually view it, you can yep. consume it then yep. on catch up. And that's really what we're going to be doing. So so think about an on-demand uh, service. It, it uh, makes you. sense, George. So it's, it's content on demand as opposed to, uh, as opposed to pumping it out an event and probably forgetting 90% of it and taking 10% away. Yeah, yeah. Not to be derogatory to live events, of course, but you, you you know what I mean. Normally when you go to a live event, and we've all been to so many of them, and they are phenomenal. They're, live events are yeah. great. But with all the best intentions in the world, when you go to a live event and you take so many notes, when you get back, you have to implement those changes or those ideas or that you know, nugget of information that you've heard at the event, which is brilliant, by the way, and the speakers are fantastic. But there's always stuff that you're going to forget or you're not going to implement or whatever. But by having this this content on demand, what you're saying is you can implement these strategies or implement these ideas and still go back and look at that content to see if you can implement more and become better at what you're doing. Exactly. Perfect. And I think I think a lot of technology organizations still haven't really grasped this. Yep. They either produce a bit of IP, a bit of product, uh, but at the end of the day, we're, we're actually providing a platform for all of those organizations to, to come in on our, on our platform. So a good example would be if somebody, a bit like opening the Radio Times, yeah, on yep. uh, 11.30 on Wednesday morning, Scott will be demonstrating the very latest in podcast technology yep. or, or cloud technology. Yep. And, and we'll have this running throughout the year. So people can actually rent space on our platform. That's what we're um, uh, hoping for. And actually, it's been unbelievable. We've had conversations with lots of organizations right now, and they're loving it because because it, it just makes sense. It brings it all together. Sure. And I guess the good thing is now that your reach, as opposed to just being European or UK or, or whatever, is now truly global. It is. You're absolutely bang on there. In wow. fact, um, we've got um, the Hong Kong Housing Association have actually just registered. That's fantastic <laughs> for, uh, for the conference. Now, 
they'd never come across, would they, before? Probably not. But for, no. a modest, for a modest entry fee, they can actually come on board, mingle on the platform, see what's happening, and actually at their leisure over the next 12 months, if they want to, just go, okay, I wonder what happened on day two at two o'clock. Well, they'll have access to that. Mm. And, and, and so will all our delegates. So the, you know, the entire conference will be, will be available. There's over 30 fantastic speakers. And, uh, you know, I'm, I have to say I was absolutely petrified about six months ago. Uh, I don't mind saying that because sure, no, I can imagine. if your business has to pivot, and, and that's what we've done. And to be fair, the whole housing technology team, including our customers, because they are very, very important to us, have basically said, yeah, we're behind this. You know, it's like, that's great. Have you, have you got a choice? Sometimes you haven't got a choice. You know, we have all sorts of conversations with people say, we like a live event. Well, so do I. But, <laughs> you know, Boris Johnson isn't allowing us to have it. Exactly. Exactly. Now we used to say, well, I need to go to another event. I need to get on another plane. I need, now it's, now it's, I can't wait to get on a plane to go to another event because we miss that interaction. We miss those events. However, to have an event now that not only gives you a global reach, but also gives you that content on demand and the ability of getting that content back and so forth. I think that is certainly the innovative way that, that events are, are going to happen, not just in our space, George, but also in many, many other industries as well. We're coming up to the end of our time, but I've got one last question before we go into our quick fire three that I like to do at the end of our interview. One of the things that really resonated with me when I was reading your bio and going through the history of the company and yourself was one of the things that is really highlighted is there's 300,000 plus homeless people in the UK, which is just a horrible amount. It's a staggering amount. And what I guess I'm trying to understand, I'd really love to get your your take on this, and I'm sure the listeners of the podcast would love to hear your feedback, is how can technology and innovation help that issue and that crisis? And, and what can we do as technology executives or technology individuals to try and bring that number down? Because it's a staggering number and one that we should all be pretty appalled of. Look, when I saw these figures, and, and, and you know what, 300,000 is a, is a is a small amount but it's when i say small amount it's a massive amount but in terms of the world just to give you some sort of context behind this there's what there's 1.6 billion people on earth right now without a home right now that is predicted to rise to 3 billion by 2050 now I've decided that we ought to really take the bull by the horns and actually map our direction and focus and our purpose to the United Nations goals, because that is the only way in which anybody can get some kind of vision about where they should be aiming. You've got to aim high in this world. You know, we can deal with the, the problems. I mean, uh, talk about technology. I mean, technology will save it. There's no two ways about it. Some of the stuff that's, that's now happening, if we're to address the challenges of homelessness, we need the country's best thinkers, best entrepreneurs, best tech-savvy people, best policymakers, best urban designers, best architects to come together. It's as simple as that. You put them in the room and you say, we need to get rid of the housing crisis. We should be able to do it. There's no two ways about it. Like all these things, you need to think outside of the box. We're talking about 3D printing as part of the fourth industrial revolution, right? Build a home in 24 hours. Currently, most 3D printed construction products use concrete, but the future sees bioplastics technology, right? And crucially, the materials used are more resilient 
against disasters such as hurricanes than traditional built houses, right? And we've, we all know about Grenfell. We've seen this at first hand. Grenfell was not just a wake-up call, but a complete realignment of everything, that the way in which people need to sort things out. So there's potentially the way in which AI and the connected communities are, are coming together. Obviously, it doesn't solve the, the land problem. There are so many clever people in the world right now who are trying to solve how, you know, you've got the build element and you've got the land acquisition, right? And I think uh, a lot of local authorities are sitting on huge amounts of land. I mean, you've only got to think, 300,000 people, how many homes could each local authority build tomorrow to solve that? That's what we need to be doing. We need to be pointing the finger and saying, sort this out. And obviously, uh, you know, I'm not sort of trying to get political and no, no. But what, what I what I am hoping to do is bring together a posse, if you like, of literally the world's best organizations. You've only got to look at the world right now in terms of technology. You know, the top organizations, the biggest companies in the world. What are they? Technology. They should be able to help. There's no two ways about it. I'm not saying it's the panacea. I'm saying that this, this is definitely one major angle that we ought to be looking at. And, and you know, a lot of it comes down to financial as well, but there's money out there. So it's just getting the right people together, getting the right, uh, I guess, North Star aligned with everyone and just getting on with it. Sure, yeah. I mean, I personally believe, and I, this is where I've woken up, is that everybody on the planet deserves a shelter. Yeah. And if you give people somewhere to live, you know, goodness me, I know um, from my early life, actually having a home gives you a platform. Yes. Right? Yes. And that is where it all starts, right? Community. And we obviously need to solve huge amounts of problems. Um, you know, Bill Gates has just launched his book on um, emissions, uh, global goals. It couldn't have been better time, to be fair. You know, obviously nobody listened to him when it came to uh, the, the pandemic, but hopefully this will be a platform for people to sit up and take heed. Absolutely. I agree with you. Well, George, we could sit here all day, couldn't we? We could absolutely go through. I've got a conference to run. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's some really great messages there, really good messages for corporate. There's good messages for, for technology. There's also messages in there of hope and, and drive and determination for me. And and I really appreciate you being so open and honest and sharing a lot of that and getting emotional. I'm so thankful for being so honest that you have been. So thank you for that. I'd like to finish off with a quick fire three. You don't have to think too hard about these. They they should be at the top of their head. But the first one for me is, what do you wish you knew when you started your business that you know now? Um, well, actually, that is a that is a difficult question because the honest answer is, I wish I didn't know anything because I actually want to learn as I go along. That's a great point. Knowing things in advance actually prevents you from making the bad decisions. And the bad decisions are the things that actually drive you forward. As my father would say, you learn by your mistakes, you make one bad error, and you never do it again. Yeah. So I, I don't think anybody's given a, a roadmap. It's a tricky question. I actually think that you need to naturally progress in life with your own volition. No, I like it. Basically, you don't need a DeLorean to go back because you like learning as you go forward. I think so. Yeah. And actually what happens is you get momentum as you as you progress. Oh, I agree with that completely. Uh, I think that's a great answer and, and one in which I think a lot of us can probably associate with. The next one, you mentioned Bill Gates earlier, but um, as a business leader, but do you have a CEO or a business leader that you like to follow or, or learn from? Gosh, crikey. I think 
my father was a, a cab driver and then he did a little bit of motor racing. So a lot of the people that I, apart from my dad, who was <laughs> a business leader in his own right, yeah, for sure, running a garage in South London, as a byproduct of that, I got introduced to two of the world's greatest technologists in uh, motorsport, Sir Patrick Head and John Barnard. They were young guys at the time. Those guys, without a doubt, have been my inspiration. The other one actually is my um, my father-in-law, Sheldon James, who um, is still with us and he's fantastic. He is a brilliant businessman, very forthright. Those are the those are the three that certainly, or four, my father, Sir Patrick Head, John Barnard. If I, I know this is not Desert Island Disc, but if I'm allowed to have four. <laughs> you, can, you can have four, mate. I'll give you four. Hey, this is my podcast. We can do anything we want. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good one because I'm an engineer by trade. So Patrick Head and John Barnard are just absolute heroes for me. So I love that. I probably resonate with those two more than, than than some other guests I've had. So great ones for me. And actually, I think I saw a picture on, on the web of uh, even when Patrick Head had gone off to Williams and started Williams, um, but jumping over the wall and coming and saying hello to your dad on the grid uh, during a, an F1, uh, F1 warm-up race or something like that just goes to show the respect that they had even after they parted ways. Yeah. Well, here's a quick one, actually. So our first conference we held at the Williams factory. Oh, really? In Oxfordshire? Yeah. In the in the Senna Conference Center. And um, and Patrick was still working for Williams. And I very rarely ask him for anything. Of course. But I needed a leg up here because I thought if we make an impact, this could be quite a good way of going forward. And he very kindly gave me a bit of discount, but he made it happen for me, which was very kind of him. Uh, I'm still in touch with him. I mean, That's even great. today. What a lovely memory. Lovely yeah, memory. Exactly. And he's he's helped both your your dad and yourself. So I, I, I love that. I love that association. Yeah, well actually there's a flip side to that, of course, because this this will be very boring for people who are not into motorsport. But for those who are, and if they remember back in uh, I think it was seventy nine, Frank Williams basically offered Patrick the position of number one at Williams back in the day. But before that, there was a guy called Walter Wolf yes. who um, offered Patrick the number two position at Walter Wolf Racing and um, loads of money, loads of potential. And Patrick came back to my father and said, look, number one with Frank, number two with Walter Wolf with all this money. You know, Frank basically didn't have two beans to rub together. And my father said, Walter Wolf, you'll be number two you won't ever be respected. You won't have any decisions. You'll always be number two. With Frank, you'll be number one. You'll be the king of your own destiny. Sure, you're not going to earn any money, but you'll get there. The rest is history. A year later, an Aussie comes in and wins the world world championship. Exactly. And I met I met Alan Jones as well. There's another story for a different day. Uh, absolute that. hero of mine. Absolute mega right. hero of mine. And that's when I got passionate about Formula One. I was eight years old. So, right. yeah, what a there's a connection. The last one, George, and, and again, I thank you so much for your time. And this last one is, what do you want your legacy to be? That's a very good question. And do you know what? I actually, I'm a bit funny about legacy. I want to leave it to somebody else. You know, I've started, if people want, you know, when you're dead and gone, you won't be remembered. You know, you'll be remembered for a bit by your family and friends. But the reality of life is, you know, within two, three, four years, five years, you won't be remembered. What I want to do is to start something, and luckily I, I, I believe that housing technology has started something 
quite magnificent. It's for others to take on to a, to a, an even greater level. In 10 years' time, what I would like to do is to have housing technology as the, the equivalent to the, the World Economic Forum, but for housing. So that's where what I was saying before, that everything comes together. You've got you know, the entire world thinking about you know, habitat, home, urbanization. Um, and so hopefully that, uh, that's, that's where we'd like to be. Love it. Yeah, we're, 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 we're going towards that. Well, that's fantastic. And I wish you all the very best for that. All the best for the upcoming event. And just thank you for your time. It's a, it's a fantastic story. And George, thanks so much. Scott, it's been great. I want to also just say it's not just me. It's I've got a fantastic team that's behind me. Of course. Um, and that is, is really important. But, but thanks very much for having me. It's been, uh, it's been really interesting to delve back into, into the past. It's great. Um, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, George. Appreciate it. Good on you. Thank you, Scott. Thanks. George has the most amazing personal and business life, and I could have spoken to him all day. His career from Grave Digger to Marks and Spencers to technology and now publishing is inspiring and his recent housing technology event was a phenomenal success and how it was held, produced and broadcast was so innovative, I wouldn't be surprised if it was the way that many events will now be produced and they would have to be amazing to equal what George and his team did. Congratulations, George, and good luck for the next one next year. You know, George also showed how adversity and education didn't hold him back from success. And actually, he holds manners, respect, life skills and hard graft as the key ingredients to achieving his goals. And I can certainly resonate with that. Thank you once again, George, for your time, your honesty and sharing your unique story. Join us again next time for more inspiring and innovative stories on the Vanguard podcast. And remember, take care, stay safe and keep on innovating. If data had a sound, it could be this. The sound of important and sensitive information leaking out of your business. MedCloud. Get connected. Cyber safe.